in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he showed himself to be the supreme scientist by, by taking this invention he created called gravity to separate the two. And he used that also to the supreme scientist to separate the heavens from the water. He became the supreme artist. He, came, he had colors such as blue and green and yellow and, and brown, and he spread them across, and he molded up these mountains, and he, and he put valleys in the way, and he showed himself the, the supreme beauty. He showed himself to be the supreme botanist as he created photosynthesis and uh, uh, ecosystems and supreme environmentalists and creating it so everything would fall through and, and, and come together uh, and such, so, such beauty that he pulled together. He, he showed himself to be the supreme um, physician as he put together the, uh, uh, the, the life forms such as the animal creations. And every time he did, he once in a while would take a break and he would say, this is good. And then a little while later, take another break and say, this is good. This is good. And then he made humankind in his own image. And that's when he said, now this is very good. Now, I'm not going to go any further into Genesis chapter 1 because uh, Lee, who's my buddy and your pastor, uh, is going to spend a lot of time next week kind of unpacking that rich chapter. But allow me to jump into Genesis chapter 2. Uh, I'm only going to cover one verse in Genesis chapter 2, and then I'll uh, uh, hop into the, uh, the portion we'll spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 2, we're going to skip to uh, verse 16, and it says this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. It's all yours. And you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, surely you would die. Well, I think God was uh, talking and, and instructed that for a couple of different reasons. One, if we don't have the choice to follow him, in other words, if we don't have the choice to not follow him, then we're nothing but robots. And God Almighty wanted a relationship. So he wanted us to choose him, choose him every day, choose him, that I want to have a relationship with you. So he gave the opportunity to say, I don't choose you. Now, I'm going to say something in here in a minute for a theological standpoint. May blow some of your minds. You may be like, I never heard of it that way before, but so just bear with me. It, it was fascinating to me that God says, do not eat from the knowledge tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the first part won't be a surprise to you at all. God doesn't want you to know evil. Because evil leads to all destruction and all dysfunction and all pain and all, everything negative in life. So God loves us too much. He, he didn't want you to have to go through that. So he didn't want you to have the knowledge of evil. But what I also read in that is God didn't want you to have the knowledge of good. He's the one that named the tree. He could have named it anything he wanted. The knowledge of the evil. I don't want you to know that. He didn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil. Why do I, why do I say that? 
Well, two reasons, really. One is because it says it. He's the one that named the tree. And the second, it makes sense. You see, God knows that we tend to get onto our own power trips. And we'll spend a lot of time getting caught up throughout world history, even how entire religions are made around judging. You're good, you're bad. You're in, you're out. And, and of course, amazingly, all of the good that we focus on are the things that I'm good at. And the things I'm not so good at, well, they're not such a big deal. And so God uh, said from the beginning that he wanted us to be able to have relationship with him. Because he knows that our tendencies, we tend to be judgmental. And we tend to go into power trips. And we tend to... to criticize and to judge others and God says you know in the early times I just want you to walk with me and talk with me enjoy the beauty of this life in fact a sneak preview uh, spoiler alert we're going to go a little bit later how Jesus referred back to this when he said look push it all aside just do this love God with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbors yourself. You do that. All the right things will fall into place. And we don't have to become consumed about those things. So, here we have, uh, uh, he, he says, okay, so here's the boundaries. You can choose me or not choose me. Now we're going to jump into chapter 3. In verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had, had made, said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, serpent We may not eat from, uh, we may eat from uh, trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fr fruit from the tree of the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. All right, pause here. I read the first one so you can compare it with the second one, and what's interesting to me is that she added something. She added, and you must not touch it. Now, I think that was pretty good advice. I think that she was setting some good wisdom. She probably knew that both her and Adam probably knew, you know what, that's going to be really, really tempting, so let's add in an extra rule and put a boundary in here. Don't even touch it. Not a bad idea. The problem comes in is that when we start adding things in that we begin to confuse as to what God said and what we said. And again, this is a problem that we've had all throughout world history. Where religions begin to add in things that were probably good advice. And probably good things for, for me and you to set, set some boundaries on. But people have lived and died on, uh, uh, on a beliefs on things that are not even in the Bible. That's why your Pastor Lee is always telling you, read your Bible. Understand what it says. There are times when I need to set an extra rule for myself because I know myself. But it doesn't mean that it applies to you. 
And there are times that you, that, you, that you might set some extra things for yourself. You say, oh, I'm kind of an addictive issue in that area. I need to add in some extra things. And with that, you may say, uh, uh, I need to not even go there. But doesn't it mean it applies to everybody else? Know God's word. Know what God says. So, so she uh, added in this extra thing. And then the evil one said this. You will certainly, uh, you will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's not wrong. The evil one was not wrong in what he said. But he's not right either. You see, God very specifically said, you'll eat from this tree and you will die. And the evil one comes along and says, what, you're not going to get struck by lightning. You're not going to all of a sudden, boom, this is going to go and you're going to die. You're going to continue on. And so therefore, don't worry about it because God's trying to withhold something from you. What I find fascinating in that is that uh, God knew what he meant. He knew that the dying process would begin. He knew rather than living in eternity in this heaven on earth that he created, that a decaying of self and our relationships and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and even of our physical bodies would begin. And he says, I don't want that for you. And this is how entire cults and, and uh, false religions and even humanistic thinking gets, put, gets started. Because what happens is, is we, uh, we, we, we start to um, uh, take a truth and twist it for another meaning. And then next thing you know, uh, you're caught up into believing something that really was not what God intended. Religions have said, well, John chapter 1, you, you know, if you look at it this way, and somebody said, well, it's not, that's not wrong, but it's not right. That is why from beginning of time, God has emphasized so much. They gotta have a relationship with him. Because no matter how many facts you know, the evil one will distort truth. And it's, it's great for us when the evil one comes along and says something that is so blatantly ignorant. But a lot of times, that's not how the evil one works. It takes a little bit of truth and twist it and get you hidden in the wrong, in the wrong direction. So, that's, so all of these things point back to here. So, uh, uh, they, um, so she says that. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree is good for food uh, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was standing with her the whole time and he ate it. And the eyes of them, both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made a coverage for themselves. And then man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord from among the trees of the garden. And when God called to them, where are you? He answered, 
I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, with me, um, but you know, which is a double thing. The woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is it have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Skip down to verse 23. 20, uh, yeah, 23. Until the Lord God banished him from um, uh, the Garden of Eden. All right, what took place here? God created this heaven on earth. In other words, if you want a great picture of what life was meant to be with him, this is it. To walk with God, talk with God, be able to enjoy the fullness of who he is. God, God created the sense of beauty. There was no stress. There was no pain. And then when they ate from the fit forbidden uh, fruit uh, on the tree, for the first time in world history, albeit world history was really short at this point, for the first time in world history, brokenness entered into the world. And brokenness took place, from what I see, in four different ways. The first way was a brokenness in their relationship with God. For the first time in world history, this short bit of time, for the first time in world history, uh, uh, there was a, a sense where Adam and Eve put a barrier between them and God. And God, you got to understand, you got the imagery of what relationship with God was like? God walked through the gardens. Hey, God, I got a question for you. You know, I was thinking about calling that, that animal platypus. What do you think about that? And God said, oh, that's a cute name, Adam. Go for it. There was a relationship. There was it's just a beauty of the way life was intended to be. And for the first time in history, a barrier took place and brokenness entered into the world. The barrier was set by us. And I, the imagery I have is like the same imagery when my kids were three to five years old. And they would, we would play hide and go seek. And they're hiding behind a little tree. And they think they're so smart and pulling it off. And God's going along with it and saying, Adam, Eve, where are you? Shh. And then they know they've been found. Spoiler alert. Towards this end of this message, we're going to be looking at ways that we are broken and that where we need to be reconciled with God. I want you right now on this first one, this broken relationship with God, I want you to begin thinking of ways that your relationship with God is broken. Now, if you're a non-believer, that's a pretty easy one for me to go ahead and tell you what it is. You're living by the knowledge of good and evil. You're trying to live by that tree. If I can have more good and less evil, then I'll probably be okay. And I would say, no, what you need, according to God's word, is a relationship. 
as we found not only in Genesis, the relationship with God took place, but all throughout history and found on the cross where God died on the cross. Jesus sent his only son to die on the cross so we can have relationship with him. And we don't have to live by the knowledge of good and evil anymore. We don't have to try to be more good and less bad. It is more about the relationship with him and all of that will fall into place. If you are a believer... I want you to begin thinking about what are ways that you have brokenness in your relationship with God. For some, you haven't been spending much time with them lately. You're kind of a Sunday goer, and then you, you get your ta- gas tanks filled and come back the next Sunday, and you need to spend more time. For others, you might be angry with God. For others, you may be feel like you've felt a sense of hurt from God. It's okay. You can confess these to God. I'm asking you to be intellectually honest with yourself. Allow the Spirit to speak in your heart right now and ask, what are some ways that I'm experiencing some brokenness, some barriers with God? Okay, the second way that brokenness took place in, uh, in, in, in this short time of world history is the brokenness of self-identity. What, what was the first thing they did? They sowed fig leaves and they hid themselves. Up until that time, they were comfortable in their own skin, literally. And they could just, just go and enjoy and they felt because their identity was in their relationship with God. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk a little bit later about our identity in Christ. But right now, their identity was in their relationship with God. I didn't have, and what the Bible says, shame entered into the world for the first time in history. Shame entered into the world. And what happens is, is a sense of brokenness where God began convicting in their hearts about, I mean, not, not God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that they began looking inward and started feeling insecurities. Started feeling like maybe I'm not good enough. Started comparing themselves to others. Maybe started to, to begin to cover up, you know, in different ways. And so this is the second area, spoiler alert, that we're going to go into the end of the message. I want you to begin thinking about not only the ways that God and you, you have a broken relationship there. But where is your self-identity broken? You wrestling with insecurities? Are you wrestling with uh, uh, feeling like you're not, not uh, good enough? It could be the opposite extreme, by the way. You could, for all I know, you could be an egomaniac. And if you're an egotistical person, well, then you think that everything about you is perfect as is. Well, that's not a healthy self-identity either. I want you to begin to think about what are ways that when you look at yourself that you just you just feel broken. Okay, the third area that we see brokenness is in the relationship with one another. What happened? God comes along and he says, well, what happened, Adam? Now remember, he gave Adam responsibility up front. He says, I want you to take care of everything here. And the first thing he did was not take responsibility. And I think 
from men throughout history who don't take care of their families, don't take care of their children, or try to not take responsibilities. These are men, that is a sin that has gone all the way back from the beginning of time, of not taking the responsibility that God's given them. And he does two things. One is he rats out his wife. And he begins to say, well, she is the problem. And then he rats out God, saying, you're the one that set all this up. So, God, can we all agree there's a problem? It's just not me. And meanwhile, poor Eve goes to look for the next human being that she can go. There's no others out there, so she's got to blame a snake. And she's trying to figure out, you know, so all of a sudden, nobody's taking responsibility for things. And so for the first time in world history, albeit it's been short, a lack of safety and trust, and a lack of trust entered into relationships. For the first time, I can't fully feel safe in some of my relationships. I can't fully trust. Up until then, they believed they had each other's backs. They knew that I believed the best about you. And for the first time in world history, uh, we, we were born into this concept that uh, I'm going to have resentment and I'm not going to feel a sense of safety or trust with others. Pause on that. I want you to begin thinking about, we've always talked about, begin feeling what is buried between you and God and your self-identity, about relationships. Where do you feel a sense of a lack of um, a safety and trust. Now, I got a rule to this one. Don't elbow the person next to you and say, yeah, did you hear that? Lack of safety, lack of trust. I want you to look in your own life and what is it that I am doing that is dysfunctional? Because you got to remember, life was functional before the forbidden fruit. For the first time, dysfunctional came into the world. And so now being dysfunctional entered in. And so we are wrestling with being dysfunctional when we are apart from the things of God. And so I'm asking you to look at your own life and to say, where am I not creating a sense of safety and a sense of trust in my relationships? And then the last verse we read, that God said, this is heaven on earth. You brought sin into it. We can't have this anymore. So he banishes them from the garden. And for the first time in world history, living in the world became hard. But the responsibility was still there to take care of the earth. So I want you to begin thinking. On the fourth area, where has God been calling me to bring transformation into this world? Has I been living from, have I just been living from paycheck to paycheck and kind of getting through, taking care of myself, enjoying life, trying to, you know, uh, 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 take it one day at a time? Or am I really choosing to make a difference in this world? 
Okay, they're out of the garden. We leave Genesis chapter 3. And then, and then history goes on. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, has an amazing ability to take the complex and make it simple. Gravity, science, all of that stuff. We know and understand a lot more of it today. We still don't understand a lot of it. But God says, take that complexity that he made and made it simple. Just take care of the garden and take care of each other. Now, we as human beings also have a unique ability. We have the unique ability to take the incredibly simple and make it complex. We can take a very simple relationship and make it complicated. And we did that throughout history, even in religion, where we tried to talk about, uh, uh, well, what are all these rules and, what are all, and trying to control them, whatever. And so finally God comes along and says, okay, okay, okay. Ten. These ten commandments. Just, I'll, I'll make it simple for you. Just follow these Ten Commandments. And we're like, okay, God, sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. History goes on, and we've got sub-commandments and, you know, bylaws and, you know, different things like that. Next thing we know, we have all these different religions. Well, how we know you're not following that commandment? And, and wait a minute, you ate something on the Sabbath day, so you're breaking that. And they made it very, very complex again. So Jesus comes along, God's only son, and says, okay, 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 two. Follow these two which points us all the way back to the Garden of Eden that says a simple life of just walking and talking and knowing God and being in relationship with each other, with him, and a healthy relationship with each other. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. You do these two things. Everything good will fall right into place. Everything healthy will fall right into place. Everything functional will fall right into place. And in all four of those areas where you're wrestling with dysfunction, which by doing those two things, they will automatically begin being in transformation into what healthy and what life was supposed to look like. But let's not stop there. The Apostle Paul came along and he was teaching and he's teaching these very basic principles. And he uh, uh, gave a very simple understanding that I think goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's through these two great commandments. And I think it really shows if you ever have asked the question, what is my purpose in life? Have you ever asked that question? Why do I exist? Well, what is, my, what is my purpose in life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't have time to go through this entire passage. So I'm going to pick two verses, but the whole chapter had a lot of richness into it as well. Chapter 5, verse 18. And this is from God, who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed us to the message of reconciliation. I think when we look to know what our purpose is, 
we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. And it's found in four ways. The first way is to be reconciled with God. Throughout the world history, as God has uh, uh, had intended a healthy life as it was intended to be, a healthy relationship with him, he's been beckoning us to come back, and he wants us to be reconciled with him. So I bring you back to where I promised I would bring you on the first one. Where do you have brokenness with God? If you don't have a relationship with God then you're stuck and hung up on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're playing a game where you say, if I can do enough good and figure out the good card and beat beat the, the evil, then I'm fine. Life was never intended to be that way. God wants a relationship with you. And if you don't think that you have a relationship with him, please talk to one of the leaders here at this church. They want to show it to you because everything else we talk about is futile if you don't have that basic premise. Now, for those of you who are believers, now we're going to talk about an issue of discipleship. I want you to pick one way, one way that God has called you to the ministry of reconciliation that this week you wish to be reconciled with God. Our English words have a little bit of a limitation. Reconciled means that on both sides, you know, we admit where we're at fault and go together. Well, God has nothing on his side. Okay, God's good. But where is it that I put a barrier between me and God? I'm going to give you an example of my life. Spent several years ago, at that point, I'd spent several years serving God. And something horrible horrible happened to me and my family. It caused so much brokenness that I was angry with God. And I was done. I was already in the professional ministry. And I was done. My anger was God as such as that I didn't want to uh, do any, have any more uh, relationship with him. Out of God's grace, he didn't let me go. And it was okay to confess to him, God, I'm angry with you. Now, God didn't do anything wrong. But from my limited perspective, I began to think God failed me. So I reconciled with God by beginning to go through this process saying, God, help me to understand And out of those broken pieces, God made a mosaic out of my life that allowed me to become the kind of a leader and a pastor I never would have been. So my point being is I want you to find one area, be really honest with yourself, that you feel there's a barrier between you and God, and take that before God this week and say, I want to be reconciled with you. The second area that we find in this ministry of reconciliation in this passage is that that God has called us to be reconciled within. Now, here's the beauty in the New Testament era. We call that our identity in Christ. 
If I can have my identity to be reconciled, that I see life the way that God sees me and express it in, the, in that way, I can have a beautiful, peaceful, non-stressful life. Now, all of us are, are wrestling, so we're growing to have our identity in Christ. I'm not there yet, but I'm growing there. So I want you to ask yourselves, what is one area in your life? Maybe it's your insecurities. Maybe it's um, uh, a sense of self-doubt. Maybe, I guess it could be the opposite extreme of being egotistical. I'll give you an example of my life. So, um, I struggled with a challenge early in my adult life that I jokingly called to my closest friend, I had daddy issues. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, my dad, he, he was a good man in a lot of ways. He never once said, Bruce, I'm proud of you. And so what happened is early in my life, even, in, even long after moving out of my home, I began trying to do things, even in my ministry, of just trying to do it in a way that inwardly I wanted my dad to say, good job, Bruce. And my earthly father never did it. I had to go to professional counseling, a Christian counselor, and to help me to see through some of that and say, my identity was so driven by his uh, approval that even the good things I was trying to do for God were dysfunctional at best. And so I began, this is several years ago, I began to realize, you know what, Lord, my identity is in you, in my heavenly father, not my earthly father. I'm not calling my, my earthly father a bad man. He's a, he's a product of the environment he grew up in. I'm just saying that for me, once I began reconciling an area of brokenness in my identity, then all of a sudden so many other things started coming through. Third area, relationships. I want you to pick, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. So you're not only reconciling with God, reconciling with ourselves, but reconciling with others. What are at least one area in your life that you have a broken relationship that you can be proactive and do something about it? I'll give you an example of my life. My family system that I came up with, uh, up in, was kind of a non-confrontational. We didn't fight. My wife's family system was the opposite. They were verbal extroverts, and they fought it out, got it out, and moved on. So when we got married, and she got strong, and I said nothing, it was very obvious to me. She was one with a problem. It wasn't me. I wasn't fighting. She's the one fighting. And I had to realize after a lot of intensive in me growing up to realize I was creating that environment and I was just as much guilty as she was and we had to reconcile in our relationships. But up until then, for a while, I was blaming her. And I'm asking you to own your stuff. And when it comes to having reconciled relationships, in other areas where you need to forgive. Are there areas where you need to kind of do some soul searching? The fourth area is reconciliation unto the world. 
Now, we'll never be fully reconciled with the world because the world is, has gone astray from God. But uh, Jesus says that uh, our, part of our job on the Sermon on the Mount is to be uh, salt and light to the world. So light means I'm going to share God's love, and salt means I'm going to make a transform, uh, transformational difference. And so my question is for you, where has God called you to bring reconciliation into the world? I'll give you an example out of my own life. Uh, my hobby, we all got our different hobbies. Uh, one of my hobbies is I ride a motorcycle. So I have been joining various motorcycle groups in downtown St. Cloud. Uh, and uh, my goal is to be a salt and light as I'm riding with these, these, these guys. And there's one group called uh, BAB, Bikers Against Bullies. And what we do is we ride up, oftentimes at school, we work it out with a principal. We don't even acknowledge the bully. We acknowledge the kid being bullied, giving them high fives, setting them up on the bike, you know, whatever. And all of our peers see that. For me, it's partly that I can be transformation for this child's life. That's the salt. The light, for me, is my fellow bikers. There's some that know Jesus, and there's a whole lot that don't. And so my job is to bring reconciliation by bringing the love of God into that. So that's how I am living the ministry of reconciliation in that fourth area. So when it's all said and done, I want to close with this. What is your purpose in life? What has God called you to? I don't think it's as complicated as we like to make it. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation with God, within yourself, within your relationships, and bring reconciliation to the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this opportunity that we can come, serve, love, and know you. And we just pray that you would be glorified and show us what it means to live out the ministry of reconciliation as we are broken, found in Genesis chapter 3, and reconciled through the cross. May we live out our calling. And Lord, each of us was challenged in four different ways to be an expression of ministry reconciliation. Bring that to our memory all throughout this week. Through Christ we pray. Amen.